0: Soundly. So right now, our listeners get 30% off Headspace's entire library of meditations. Just go to headspace.com slash sleeppod for 30% off your subscription, but only until May 12th. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash sleeppod today. This is the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 285. Three, two, one. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he drinks his coffee fast because he can't stand it when it cools down, Pat Flynn. What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me today in this session of the SPI podcast. Really excited you're here because I'm really excited to introduce to you Jeff Sheldon, the founder of Ugmonk. Dot com. Now, I didn't hear about Jeff until I learned about him through Clay Hebert. So Clay was somebody who we featured last week, and I asked him, hey, who is somebody I should be interviewing related to Kickstarter who just has an awesome brand, who's really cool, who could probably provide a lot of value to the SPI audience? And he was like, oh, dude, you got to interview Jeff Sheldon from Monk." And I'm like, what's Ugmunk And Clay is like, dude, it's this amazing company that has built such a loyal following now. It's doing very well. It started as actually a t-shirt brand. So Jeff would incorporate some of his own designs for shirts that he would want to wear, and he started selling them online, and then things just started to grow from there. He's now added a lot more different kinds of products into his lineup, and recently he came out with a Kickstarter campaign that earned nearly a half million dollars. And so in this episode today, we interview Jeff, we talk about how he built his brand, how he's kept it in a way that he's really happy with as it's continued to grow, all of the ideas and strategies that he's put into place to help it grow and get exposure, Uh, and then also how he's run his Kickstarter campaign and some of the ins and outs of that, things that he learned from a previous one, uh, and uh, all that kind of good stuff. So a lot of great stuff to take away from this episode. And if anything, I hope that uh, Jeff just inspires you to really believe in yourself and what you're up to because he really did and now it's paying off. So Ugmonk.com, U-G-M-O-N-K.com. And mind you, I didn't ask him what that meant because on his website, he says that that's kind of a secret between he and his family. Uh, it's a family-run business, which is really cool too. His mom is like a part of it and we talk about that as well. It's so awesome. Uh, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Jeff and I hope you will become one too. So here's Jeff from ugmunk.com What's up, everybody? I'm so, so thankful and honored to welcome Jeff Sheldon from Ugmonk on the SPI podcast. Jeff, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you.
1: Yeah, man, it's an honor to be on here. I'm a big fan of what you
0: do. Well, thank you. Well, ever since I've gotten introduced to you and what you're up to in Ugmonk.com, I'm just... Now I'm a big fan of yours. I actually just placed an order for something of yours cause I just am so in love with what you've created. And I'd love to go back to kind of your origin story uh, and how you got started with all this. So um, was Monk like your first foray into business or were you, uh, like what were you doing before then?
1: Yeah, so I've been doing design and art pretty much my whole life um, and Maybe similar background to you, but it was kind of like I was doing art. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with it. Got to college, and then I actually studied graphic design. I thought I was going to be like an animator and do Pixar stuff because that's what all of us thought coming up. But uh, I realized that that wasn't like super creative and and wasn't the path. So I I got into graphic design, um, and so I call myself a designer by trade and an entrepreneur by accident, um, which I'm sure a lot of people can resonate with um, because I didn't plan to necessarily turn – uh, what I was doing into a business and turn Monk into a full-on lifestyle brand. But design is definitely what I love, and that's where Monk kind of was born out of.
0: Nice. And tell me how you got the idea for it. Where did, it all, where did the idea to, to do what you do start?
1: Yeah, so I was doing t-shirt design uh, in college and was entering some of these contests, these online contests, threadless.com. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with those uh, online sites where you submit a design People vote on them, and then whoever gets the most, gets the highest score, gets curated by the team, gets their shirt printed, um, and you win a cash prize. So I was doing that in college, first time I'd ever designed a t shirt. And I actually, I didn't actually win on Threadless, but I won on like a clone site called Designed by Humans. And it was incredible because they printed my shirt. Um, I got the physical product, like they sent the shirt with the design, really nicely printed. Mm-hmm. I got a cash prize. It was—it seemed massive at the time. I think it was like four or five hundred dollars, and that just kind of started me on this journey of wanting to do more t-shirt design. And I kept winning uh, a bunch more times uh, on Design by Humans and some other sites. And then I realized I'm not—I don't own the art, uh, the artwork or the designs anymore. They get to own it and they get to keep reprinting and making money off of me. So I said in the back of my mind, it was literally this is all I thought was. What if I just designed my own shirts, put up my own little e-commerce site instead of doing these contests? And that was the birth of Ugmunk
0: What was that uh, first design, if you don't mind sharing what it was?
1: So the first, I started with four designs. Uh, they were all typographic and geometric based, very similar to what I have on the site today. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go onto my site and browse, some of the same shirts that I've been selling for all of these eight plus years, which is crazy in the fashion world or design uh, t-shirt apparel world. Um, but they were all kind of based around this minimal, clean typographic style that I really liked. And I, I was like, I would wear this if, you know, I bet there's like 10 other people in the world that might want this too. Ten. <laughs> and I started with those designs and there's obviously more than 10 other people. And now we've sold, uh, you know, we've grown, the br- I've grown the brand slowly over the last eight years and we've shipped to 70 countries, over 70 countries, tens of thousands of customers all over the world and it's taken on a life of its own so it's it's been a a crazy crazy journey
0: and that's so cool do you ever run into somebody just like on the street or something who's wearing an ugmunk shirt and and how do you feel if that if that does yeah
1: i I actually i have i've done that uh i've seen i've been in new york and in different cities and come across people and it's Really wild uh, experience. Most of the time, I don't approach them because it's super awkward, and I'm more <laughs> of like a. I like to see my my designs in the wild. But I'm not going to go up to the guy and be like, "Hey, nice shirt." Um, but I have friends and, and people, you know, on Twitter and stuff, sending me photos all the time. Of, hey, I just spotted one on the subway, or I just spotted one. When I was in Madrid, or I was in Germany, and uh, it's so cool. That's the craziest part about doing physical products.
0: That's so cool. I love that. Now, going back to when you first started, okay, you're going to put these designs up online. Um, like, how did you even know how do that I mean did you have experience printing on shirts like did you have somebody help you with that
1: I knew nothing I knew how to design them I knew how to use Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop uh, I never really built a website before so that's where my brother came in and he's a developer so he helped me build our first very uh, well if we look back at it now it's, it's pretty embarrassing but it was like a wood grain background with uh, <laughs> you know mock-ups and, and just chunky text this was 2008 so um so we built a site and we used a, a program or a service called Big Cartel which is still around today. Uh we're now we're using Shopify which is kind of like Big Cartel on steroids but mm. um so we I built a site I, I found a screen printer through these t-shirt forums. This is back when forums were still a thing. Um and I didn't know anything about screen printing or the inks to use or the process. Um and I just kind of started talking to people asking a lot of questions and then got the first 200 shirts printed. I um, actually borrowed the money from my dad. I was right out of college. I was like, I don't want to take my money out of my junior level design salary and uh, got the first run of shirts printed and, and kind of just hit the ground running.
0: What was the the investment up front to kind of get everything up and running?
1: Um, it was about $2,000 for that run of 200 shirts. Um, there was some other minimal costs, but one of the biggest savings is that me being a designer, I didn't have to outsource the design right. for the product or the website. And then with my brother building it, it was like, you know, I had the computer It's basically just this, the small subscription cost to get things domain and, and hosting and everything.
0: Nice. So that must've been really cool to like see your designs then online for sale. But I also know a lot of people put the things they design up online for sale and then it's just like crickets and they have no idea how to get the word out there, how to market it. What was your thought? How did you actually get the word out there about your brand new online store at that time?
1: I think the first thing I did was just, I posted it in that forum where I was kind of asking people questions and I used a little bit of the name that I built for myself on these other contest sites and just said, hey, like I've, you know, I could like message people that had bought it or or something. And Mm -hmm. I told them, hey, I'm doing my own thing. Here's what it is. Um, And I gave them the URL and literally like, you know, just sent out emails by hand To everyone I knew and then and then also hit up some bloggers this was back when design blogs were you know massive before social media it was really I don't even know if Twitter was out I wasn't on Twitter um and I sent emails to people different typography blogs and t-shirt blogs I'm just like hey this is what I'm doing if you like it you know I'd love to to get on your site and if not that's totally cool and some of them started posting it and that like drove started getting eyeballs from all over the world and uh, the whole blog world and, you know, social media has changed a lot. But that was like the initial start was just literally telling one by one.
0: Man, that's so cool. And I think that with all the tools we have available to us today, we we suspect that like if you're starting a business, there should be some magical button that you press that like sends and spreads the word out to everybody. But honestly, like with businesses that are starting from scratch today, it's still the same. the same thing works. You got to hustle. You got to go out there. You got to, you know. Reach individuals and take the time to do that just like you did. I mean, that, that kind of stuff still works. Um, that's awesome. I, w- I still want to talk about marketing and stuff uh, in a minute, but um, what's curious to me is this whole idea of having a physical product that you're selling. You know, uh, I, I know you list had listened to the SPI podcast at one point in, t- in time. You told me that before we recorded, which is super cool. Uh, but you know, all my stuff is digital, or I'm now starting to get in a little bit of the physical world, but For you, it's like, okay, it's not just like a product and you're selling it online, but you need like storage space. You need warehouse space. Tell me what that was like. You bought all these shirts. Where did you put them? How did you deal with shipping and handling when somebody placed an order?
1: Uh, So in the beginning, that's one of the biggest things I underestimated was, what do I actually do when four giant boxes of shirts show up? And then I'm like, (laughs) how am I going to send these? I guess I need to buy some sort of mailer. And how am I going to print the labels? And I guess I need a better printer. Um, So. Right off the bat, uh, you can tell how much I didn't think through things, which I would actually say to some extent was helpful because if I had launched this as a startup or as something that I was trying to turn into my full-time job, mm-hmm. I would have gotten way in over my head as far as how much money I'd invested in equipment and planned for it to be this this big business someday. Um, it was completely the opposite. I was like literally just making it up as I go and, and figuring out how do I send something internationally and we were like writing out customs forms by hand and My wife and I were uh, newly married. I had just started my full-time job. And then during the evenings and weekends, we would sit there and literally fold up the shirts and pack uh, each one by hand. And we had boxes in our little one-bedroom apartment, um, which was, it slowly started to become more and more in all of the rooms, except for like, I think they were not in the kitchen, not in the bathroom. Every other room, every other space had boxes like in the corner stacked high, which was kind of funny to look back at.
0: That's really cool. Now, in the moment of uh, like shipping something, like tell me what was the process like back then, and how you've been able to refine that. So, if somebody places an order. What was the journey like for you to get that out the door?
1: So, back when we started, I was doing. I think I was actually taking them all to the post office standing in line and like paying for them there. Cause I literally, it was like, I don't know, is there an app to do this? Was there <laughs> even anything else? Um, and then I quickly realized you could do it through PayPal. And then after that, uh, a bunch of years ago, we switched to a, a program called ShipStation, and that was an absolute lifesaver ShipStation, And this is not like an endorsed, I don't get paid or anything for saying this. They basically tie into Shopify or a lot of e-commerce platforms take all the order data and automate the whole process, including like the customs, the international customs stuff, um, the weights, the prepaid postage, everything. And you literally just have to go down and and check a box and and make sure the weights right and click print and you can batch process things. So now, now we're like way, way faster and and it's much more, a much more well-oiled machine. Um, But again, it was just learning and looking for things and, you know, ShipStation, I'm not even sure if they were out in the beginning. So we've kind of grown and, and just still continue to refine those
0: processes. That's cool. ShipStation has been mentioned, I think it was on this podcast or maybe my other show, Ask Pat, but um, a lot of people who have, uh, they, they were coming on as the sponsor and a lot of people who actually started to use that as a result of the sponsorship has just been saying amazing things about it. Uh, so I know that that's true. It just is really helpful when you're shipping out physical items. Um, when you say we, who, who are you speaking about in your business?
1: Sure, so it's, we're a really small team, um, and, and people might get the impression that we're a lot larger than we are, and that's fine, um, because of the way that our website, you know, everything presents itself and, and the way that I've designed it, but I, I hope that my personality and the, the smallness of it also comes through. So it's me, I run most, uh, most of the day-to-day, everything from designing to photography to creative advertising, everything. Um, and then my brother is a business partner, uh, and he, helps with a lot of strategy and, and a really good sounding board for me to bounce things off of. Um, mm-hmm. Then my wife helps out in a bunch of different capacities, and like I said, she used to help like literally fold and bag every shirt, um, but she's always, she's always been there helping in all sorts of different ways. And then my mom is an employee who actually manages all the fulfillment and shipping. So every single order that comes in right now, actually, she's the one uh, packaging and shipping that out, and then we bring in part-time help as well. Um, just to help uh, during the busy times and during sales. And then my sister-in-law handles customer service. So it's a true family business. Uh, but everything else is just contracted out. And uh, I work with a lot of small shops, different uh, photographers or screen printers or leather good uh, makers. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the uh, core of the Ugmonk team.
0: Dude, that's so cool. Your, your mom, M- Mrs. Sheldon, is it? Y- yeah. Uh, dude, like, so you can say like, guys, if you have any problems, like, just talk to my mom.
1: Yeah, totally. That's so awesome.
0: I I love that. Uh, Yeah, it's
1: it's worked out really well. And so I'll interject one thing. A lot of people are like, I can't believe you work with your family. Doesn't that like create so much tension and like, that would be crazy. I would never work with my family. And I think it's just different for different people. So our family just gets along and we work well together and there's not a lot of conflict when it comes to like business and that kind of thing. But I would also tell people, if you know there's going to be conflict or you know that you don't work well with your siblings or your your parents... (laughs) then don't try and force the issue and it's better to leave like family and business separate.
0: Yeah, well, that's awesome. Thank you for interjecting with that. Um, Okay, t-shirts, that's how it started. What was the next product after t-shirts?
1: So I started doing screen printed posters, which was basically the same designs just on posters, which was a really easy transition because Mm -hmm. it was working with the same screen printer, um, one color designs, just picking out paper stock and things like that. Um, that was the next step. And then I started getting into some leather journals, the leather sketchbooks, and that led into the leather mouse pads, which led into a bunch of other things and uh, wallets and messenger bags. Um, but it was not necessarily like the path you would see a t-shirt company normally go going from t-shirts to leather goods was kind of like a weird jump. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was all like, Uggmunk has always been about creating products that I personally wanted and wanted to use. Um, so I was like, I really want a nice leather sketchbook. Um, And I kind of made that transition and now we've gone all the way to the Kickstarter that I just launched uh, called Gather, uh, which is more of a desk organizer and and productivity space that I'm getting into.
0: Yeah. And Gather is the product that I uh, right before this call I purchased because I was doing research and I was like, dude, I need that. And we'll talk more about that uh, and what it is and the Kickstarter campaign in in just a moment. Um, When you think back in your journey since you started, were there any moments that you remember that were like, big moments in the life path of the business and spreading the word out there, or was it kind of just a steady growth this whole time?
1: I'd say more of a steady growth. And that's not as like exciting or glamorous to talk about. Um, But if you were to look at like the growth curve, it hasn't been any type of hockey stick or overnight thing where we got mentioned on Oprah's favorite things and, you know, or somebody in a popular band wore one of the shirts, which people have worn shirts and there's been things that have been cool. Um, the biggest thing that really kind of picked up the pace was just early on the And Then I Woke Up t-shirt. It's a gray shirt with a big black ampersand. And in the bottom of the ampersand, it says Then I Woke Up. Um, that shirt got picked up on multiple larger design blogs and started bringing eyeballs from like all over the place that people had never heard about Ugmonk. Um And I'm not talking like thousands of orders. It was probably like 70 shirts or 100 shirts that we sold in a few days, mm-hmm. which was completely, you know, that was massive compared to what we were doing. Um, but that was like, kind of like, I didn't expect that many people to be interested in what I was doing. And people were asking when the next shirts were going to come out and when can I do new, new colors? And that was the first uh, real big moment, I think for me.
0: That's really cool. What do you think it was about that shirt in particular that, and then I woke up shirt?
1: I would love to say I have a formula for why the most popular shirts are, are the most popular, but I, Honestly, as the designer, I even can't figure it out. So the the most popular shirt of all time that we sell is is called Mountains, and it's literally two overlapping triangles, uh, a red and a blue triangle, and I've done other colorways um, that create a smaller white triangle. But that shirt has outsold every other shirt by far, and I can't tell you that it's like the golden ratio or it has some deep <laughs> meaning behind it or whatever, but... Um, but it, it's something about it resonates with people, and they like, they tell me, you know, that's the shirt I stick in my suitcase when I'm traveling. Like, I love wearing it. It's just, you know, it doesn't have a big logo. It's not branded, but it feels like I can wear it out, you know, anywhere for any occasion. And I'm, I'm, I'm constantly trying to figure out, like, what did I do there that I can do again um, that attracts people? But I think it's just something about the design and the style that resonates. It's such a subjective thing.
0: That's super cool. Well, congrats on that. And I am sure there are going to be many more designs that you create that are kind of going to baffle you in terms of why is this one successful? So I can't wait to see those. You had mentioned having conversations with your customers. Do you prioritize that? And if so, how do you actually communicate with them? Do you value the community that you've built?
1: Yeah, definitely. That's a huge part of what Monk is. And I think what I can attribute uh, some of my success to is I've been very open and transparent ever since the beginning to pull back the curtain and, and talk to people. Uh, I get emails as I'm sure you do every single week and it's hard to like keep up with all of them, but people asking for advice or asking for a critique on their design uh, or just giving me feedback on what other products they'd like to see. And through Twitter and Instagram uh, and my email list, uh, I've just tried to keep that door open and be really personal with all my customers. So even like, When we send out our emails, it's literally me. I'm typing the email Mm -hmm. and I'm sending it from Jeff, not like this corporate Monk team or anything. Um, And I'm sharing things that I like, other products that aren't even Monk products. Uh, I'm sharing the process of how I do things. So I'm gonna do a whole post about how I launched this Kickstarter, very similar to to, I think, you know, your whole model of how you've been really open and transparent. Um, People just respond really, really well to that and knowing that it's just you on the other side or me on the other side.
0: Totally, that's really cool. What advice would you have for, cause you had mentioned some people actually reach out to you for advice. And so I'm going to ask you so that maybe this will cut out some of the emails that might come your way after this. But anyway, yeah. um, for a person listening on the other end right now, they're a designer, right? Maybe it's t-shirts, maybe it's website design, or, or something else. Uh, what, what's one piece of advice you have for them to help with advancing their career and sticking with uh, kind of their true design heart?
1: Oh man, that's tough. I think I would say uh, one: make sure that you're designing things that you personally like. There's client work, which is important to design—you know, meet the client's expectations um, and obviously deliver what they want. But if you're not, if you're only designing things that other people are dictating, it runs you dry really fast, and you get really frustrated. So if you're doing client work or you're doing something for a larger company, make sure you're carving out time on the side to experiment and create the things that you're like. I would, I would love to have this app or I would love to have this sketchbook or this t-shirt and make sure that that part of, uh, you know, that part of your life doesn't get crushed because of the kind of the the client relationship side of things. Um, and also don't be afraid to put things out there and ask for feedback or even if it doesn't feel like your best thing ever. Um, I think there's an aspect of self-promotion that I resisted for a long time, but I realized was necessary. Um, so not that everything I put out is is 100% perfect is the best thing ever. But I had to get over that hurdle of like, I don't want to show this to anyone because it doesn't really look 100% yet. So I would just encourage people to like start posting stuff, whether it's even on Instagram, or, or just something really, really easy, and start getting feedback and start connecting with people about it. Don't like hold it secret forever.
0: Why do you think you were so hesitant to ask for that feedback back uh, in the beginning?
1: I think the internet has opened us, has exposed us to so much. I mean, there's so many better designers than me, and there's, you know, 15-year-olds that could probably school me in Photoshop or, or any and, you know, designing a website. So it's intimidating because you, you're, we're around all these people. We're in tune with what's out there. You scroll through any of these inspiration sites, and it, it's almost like, why do I even try? Um, but at the same time, if those people never tried, that could have been the one thing that they got noticed for, and they've done 100 other things. Um, so I feel like it's just important to, to, you know, at least show people what you're doing. Um, cause that's the only way you'll grow is instead of just like kind of hiding in your corner and messing around, designing 14 versions of your website and never showing it to anyone.
0: Is somebody, I mean, it's so smart and so true. If somebody was listening to this and they're more of an introvert and they're just not good around people, they might think that, um, I, I know I'm that way. I'm naturally an introvert too. I mean, I've learned over time, the importance of going out there and just getting uncomfortable a little bit. I think you even have a shirt that says, like, get uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, Um, exactly. Yep.
0: What would you recommend for for that introvert? First of all, are you, would you consider yourself an introvert?
1: Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm better when I'm alone in my office. It's quiet. I'm working. Uh, I, I, you know, I I get charged up by just sitting here being in that kind of solitude state, Mm -hmm. as it might sound a little uh, odd, but... I don't naturally just want to go out and tell people what I do. Like, I don't even like, like to introduce myself as, oh yeah, I run this company and, and I, this is all the products and the success I've had. Um, it feels awkward just because I'm not that type of personality, but the internet and the way that we can communicate with people has actually made that a whole lot easier. So I don't have to be screaming from the rooftops about what I do. Mm-hmm. I can just have people opt in that, that are interested and then I can communicate with them through emails and, and social media.
0: That's really cool. Well, I can tell right now, Jeff, uh, people are listening to this and you are now gaining a lot more fans because of just how honest and transparent you are, like you said. So thank you for exuding that and, uh, you know, being a proponent for just, you know, being yourself, but also kind of pushing those boundaries a little bit to help others too. So thank you for that. For sure. This Kickstarter campaign, you know, it's Kickstarter month or it's, uh, you know, here on SPI and we've talked to like clay a bear and a few other people related to Kickstarter stuff. Um, why did you decide to do Kickstarter for this design for a modular organizational productivity uh, solution?
1: Um, there multiple reasons. Uh, I can go through them real quick. So one was I actually did need an investment to create the tooling for Gather. So the, the injection molded pieces, the, the tooling alone cost $18,000 just to make the mold. Um, that's not even including the production run. So I wanted to validate the product. And Kickstarter is a great way of validating a product and and seeing if there's people that want it, even though I have an audience and I I had a lot of people asking about it when they saw the prototypes. um, I thought it was a better way to launch it than just on my site. The second aspect of it is that Kickstarter is is a really interesting uh, kind of mechanism because what it does is allows people to help you on the journey. So it makes them feel good because they're helping you and they also get the reward. So it's not like they're shopping or price comparison looking at Amazon. Um, The backers actually get double the reward because they're like, I got to help Jeff make this. I get to watch that number go up and we, you know, crushed our goal by over 2,000%. And they get the reward for the best price that we'll ever have. Um, and, And Kickstarter is kind of the ultimate example of doing stuff in the open, right? It's like you're seeing everything from the process to the revenue numbers to the problems in the comments to to like the whole thing. Um, And we were able to get kind of a way bigger uh, ripple effect by launching on Kickstarter and reaching new eyeballs than just the Ugmonk community.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, I see here that over 2,500 backers pledged nearly half a million dollars to help bring this project to life, which is wow. I mean, what, does that just blow your mind
1: yeah it still has it's only we're only uh not even a week past the since we just closed the campaign last week and it it was honestly i did not expect it to go that huge i in the back of my mind i hoped that it would go big and um my my big big goal you know that i had spreadsheeted out was a hundred thousand dollars it's like if we can hit six figures this would be, you know, game changer. And we did $100,000 in the first 24 hours. Um, It just like blew every expectation out of the water. Um, And the most exciting thing for me is not even the dollar amounts because a lot of that's just going to go right back into inventory and investing the product. It was seeing something, an idea that I had to get rid of all the clutter and all the crap on your desk. Um, That idea was validated by so many people that resonated with the same problem. They're like, yeah, there's nothing, there's no way to, there's no beautifully designed way to contain everything and customize it uh, on your desk. And to see that validated was the ultimate reward.
0: Well, we're going to put a link up to gather in the show notes. I highly recommend you watch the video for it. If anything, you do a great job of explaining what it is that you've built and why and comparing like the other solutions that are out there, like those plastic ones you get at target that are just ugly or whatever. No offense (laughs) to target. I shop at target all the time. Um, But I mean, just I was watching that. It's like only four minutes in length. Like, um, And I know since talking to Clay and a few other people that the video is rather important. Uh, how, how long did that four-minute video take to shoot?
1: Yeah, the video, especially for Kickstarter, you've got to nail it. I mean, that's one of the things we spent the most time on. We were planning storyboarding and scripting it out mm-hmm. about six months ago, getting ready. And then we had some delays in the production and prototyping. Um, but started the initial concepts for it about six months ago and then dialed it in just a few months or a month before the campaign. And then a friend and I shot for three very full days uh, down in Nashville. And we, then we went probably through, I don't know, 18, 19, 20 versions of edits uh, going back and forth and changing things around um, to get to the final video that you see there. So there was I wish I had. The, I forget the number of gigs of footage or terabytes of footage that we shot, but it was a very, very involved process. Um, but I'm really happy with the result, and, and I think we pared it down to really com- clearly communicate the problem, the solution, the reason for Gather, and the people that understand the need for it. Not everybody wants to pay a hundred dollars for you know beautiful desk organization system, but the people that do were like backing it before the video was even over. Um, so the video really, really helped.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sold me, and uh, like I said, we'll put a link up to it. You can pre-order it uh, before it gets shipped. I think it told me it was going to get shipped up in uh, in December of 2017, which will which will be nice, right around my birthday, which is which is great. Um, yeah. So, what was the hardest part around and surrounding your Kickstarter campaign? Because I'm sure it wasn't all just like, you know, unicorns and rainbows, right?
1: Definitely not uh, Kickstarter. If, if anyone's listening to this, run a Kickstarter, they know exactly how much work it is because it's insane. It's literally like a full time job while you're running it and before you're running it and after because I'm, now I'm dealing with all sorts of other things, um, following up with backers and, and all the fun, the not fun parts, not glamorous parts. Um, the biggest, I mean, the most effort that we put into it was probably the way we wanted to communicate the product. Um, a lot of people do shoot a video and it's okay. They shoot photos and they're okay. They, they, they show the product, mm-hmm. but they're not great. And when you have thousands of other Kickstarter campaigns on there, um, it's important to really, really dial in every little detail on that page. Even like the I have a bunch of animated GIFs uh, on the page as you scroll down showing the product in action um, and getting all those details. So when somebody lands on it, if they're on their phone or they're just you know quickly browsing, that they know exactly what the product is. Um, it's easy to say that, and it's a lot harder to pare it down and actually do that. But we've spent a lot of time thinking through how do we tell this story in a very natural, not infomercial way, but at the same time showing like the importance of the product.
0: Yeah, the get the animated gifts are great. Like, honestly, I didn't even make it all the way down there before I bought, but um, I'm looking at them now uh, and they're just they're just beautiful. Um and really do a great job of explaining all the different setups and the ways that, that the product can be used. So that's, that's great. So you were talking about how it was kind of like a full-time job during the launch period or during the campaign. Tell me what like a typical day was like during, and I'm sure that they were they weren't all the same, but like what would be a day like in the middle of a launch?
1: Um, yeah, so in the middle of the campaign, it slows down a little bit. in the first week or so, the first days were just absolutely crazy. Um, and I had never seen my Twitter feed blow up like it was. Um, we were getting I was getting retweeted and shared like I've nothing I've ever done, even the biggest product launch I've ever done. Um, so I was just trying to keep up with that and and I could have easily let it all go by, but I tried to at least thank everyone or favorite their tweet um, because every single person that that helped spread the word and told their, you know, their followers and their fans, that means a ton to me. Um, so I, I try to make sure to keep up with all that, all the comments coming in or the questions like, oh, can I, do I have to add shipping, logistics, uh, logistical questions? And then um, thinking about how, what was the next step? Like I need to update the backers. I need to send out another email mm-hmm. um, for people that maybe didn't know what it was. Um, and even before we launched, a lot of that was, I actually had done a lot of that um, prep work thinking about teasing the campaign. I had a teaser video. Um, I was showing little snippets of the product. And by the time I launched, when I got to launch, it wasn't like all the work started then. I had already kind of built up the anticipation um, where people were backing it before I could even refresh the page when I launched, which was crazy. Um, So I think the the real work starts way ahead of the campaign. And that makes the actual campaign go a lot smoother. So I'm not scrambling for ideas of how do I promote or how do I get people to share this? Mm -hmm. Um, We kind of had a whole list and game plan in place.
0: If you were to recommend a time period to uh, from start till launch date, how much time would you say is necessary in between those times to really do it right? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it depends on it depends on how many other things you're juggling sure. um, because I've been kind of doing it alongside of all the other products and among product releases. Um, I would say at least six months um, to start planning and to give yourself time to really think through how you want to tell the story, what's the video going to be. Um and then obviously the product itself is important. So we ran into problems where the, the last set of prototypes we got, the prototypes just didn't look great and they weren't gonna look great on video. Um so instead of just kind of faking it and running with that, I waited a whole nother like forty-five days to get the next set of prototypes. Um so the product has a lot of the product timeline can really push you back too, but I would say at least six months to really do it thoroughly and and thoughtfully.
0: And then now that it's over and then now that these things are being produced, like, obviously it's a completely different ballgame now and you are talking about manufacturing and, and shipping and all that stuff. Um, what, what are the major challenges related to to that part of it and the fulfillment?
1: So I did a Kickstarter five, four or five years ago with a friend um, for another product and called Open Frame and we ran into so many issues because we didn't plan this out mm-hmm. um, so we we didn't think about like what's our packaging going to be or how do we ship these what's the actual cost to ship something overseas um, and how fast can we produce them and and we had only had i think like 500 backers which was double what our goal was but i was literally trying to ship these things out and change addresses and do all this crazy work myself and that did not scale and ended up you know losing a lot of money or breaking even so this time I set up all these things to scale. So I have a fulfillment center um, down in Texas that I'm going to work with. I have my manufacturer, they're ready to scale as big as I possibly can go, which having that ceiling removed really helps help, helped encourage me to keep pushing the campaign. And so all the pieces I need in place are already operating, already moving. We've already got a jumpstart on that tooling for the pieces and I guarantee there will be issues. And if you talk to me in a few months, I'll probably you know, say, I can't believe this has taken that long, but that's just the nature of physical products. Um, things I, I set this one up to be successful. I had no idea it would be this successful, um, but I'm glad that I got my ducks in a row ahead of time.
0: Nice, nice work. Now, is this something that is going to live on ugmonk.com eventually and just be yours? Or what if somebody came along and they were like, Dude, Jeff, we love this gather thing. Like, we wanna we wanna buy it from you. What what would be going through your head at that time? Is this something that you wanted to like quote exit with? Or I'm just really curious to to, to know yeah. kind of in your head where you're at with that.
1: That I mean, that thought was never really came across my mind. Like, I want I would want to sell this and and just kind of kick back and do my do the apparel side of things. Um, because really, like as soon as I saw the are taking off and people were want to gather and they're like, you know, excited about it. I already have three other three or four other ideas in line with the same workspace, beautifully designed product productivity space, mm-hmm. um, ideas for products that I want to put out. So this is like just the tip of the iceberg for me and, and seeing how much like this space is wide open for this kind of thing. Um, I don't, I'm not ready to sell or exit. Obviously I guess if the dollar amount was big enough and somebody approached me, which I have been getting some very interesting emails and opportunities um, after raising almost half a million dollars in Kickstarter. But I'm not ready to sell this. Like I really want ugmunk the next uh, kind of life of Ugh to be centered around more of this industrial design, timeless, really well crafted goods. Um, so I'm I'm just like pumped to get gather out the door so I can start like doing other add-ons and extensions and different pieces, and then start working on the next few products that I have.
0: I love that. Well, I'm pumped for you, man, and I'm really excited about this product. I'm really excited to receive it later this year. Uh, and thank you for all the tips and stuff related to Kickstarter as well. It's a, a environment that I may be getting uh, I may be getting involved with as well later down the road. So it's really helpful. And and I have to just comment on the name of it too. Gather, like I get it in terms of like gathering your things and making it easy to organize. But I think it really speaks to like what you are creating here with the Ugmonk brand, the gathering of like a community and to have people come in who really like high quality, well-designed, clean, minimal stuff. I think it's just, I think it's super cool and I just I just love everything about it. So I'm I'm a fan now, Jeff. I'm a Ugmonk.com, guys. That's where you want to go and check this out. We'll put all the links in the show notes too. Um, Jeff, where else can people kind of connect with you, potentially communicate with you? Where would you recommend they go?
1: Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Ugmonk, it's U-G-M-O-N-K, and Instagram and my email is just jeff at Ugmonk.com. And like I said, I'm always happy to, to help out as many people as I can. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer depending on the number of emails I get. But uh, I'm an open book and happy to help. And uh, yeah, just honored to be on and honored to, to hear the kind words coming from you because I, I love what you do and uh, have been a fan of yours for a while as well.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm a fan of you. Jeff, thank you so much. Uggmunk.com, uh just congrats. And I'm wishing you even more success. Thanks, Pat. All right, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jeff. As you can tell, super cool guy, a lot of great information and just wants to share it all. I love that. So Jeff, thank you so much for being a longtime listener to the show. I think that's really cool, but I'm so thankful that you were able to come on and share some wisdom as our featured guest today. So thank you so much. All the links and resources mentioned in this episode are available on the website at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 285. Again, smartpassiveincome.com slash session 285. And uh, you can check out Jeff once again at Ugmunk.com, U-G-M-O-N-K.com. All All right, guys, thanks so much. I appreciate you. And uh, I look forward to serving you in the next episode of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Um, but really quick, if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to the show. And if you haven't yet left a review, those are one of my favorite things to do. Like every once in a while, once a week, I go in there and I read the reviews. I even go to different countries and read the reviews that come into there. Uh, and I'm just super thankful for them. So guys, if you have a moment uh, here at the end of September, and you're listening to this, or even in the future, just I would be super grateful if you took a moment just to leave a quick, honest review about the show on iTunes. That would help out a lot, actually. So thank you so much. I appreciate you, and I look forward to serving you in the next episode of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com.